and welcome back to the Deadology Podcast from Pencil Hill Studio, New Paltz, New York. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. 1981 was a good year to be a deadhead, and it was a year of dreams if you were a deadhead and a student at Lehigh University. That's because on February 5th, the Jerry Garcia Band played in Stabler Arena on the beautiful campus of Lehigh, and they returned, not they, the Grateful Dead returned later in the year and played at Stabler Arena on September 25th. I wasn't at uh, either of these shows in Lehigh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, uh, but 1981 was where it all began for me as a deadhead. I'll just give you a brief uh, chronology of how I got into the Grateful Dead in 1981. I remember the date, January 24th, 1981, because it was a Islander hockey game. My favorite player, Mike Bossy, became the second NHL player to score 50 goals in 50 games. But that doesn't matter at all in this story. What does matter is that on the way home, my friend played Europe 72 in the tape deck. And I fell in love with the album, and I instantly understood kind of what the obsession with the Grateful Dead was. And I immediately went out and bought a bunch of Dead records. My first show was Madison Square Garden on March 9th. Uh, spectacular show, even though I was a bit of a novice and I didn't even realize how great it was at the time. Show number two, I already had a nice little bootleg collection. Uh, it was at the Nassau Coliseum on May 8th. And then later in the year, on uh, November 6th, I got to see my first Jerry Garcia band shows at the Capitol Theater in Passaic, New Jersey. Four days later, I doubled the pleasure and saw two shows early and late at the Palladium. Um, once again, Jerry Garcia band, Palladium, uh, New York City. And it was uh, I was off and running. By 1982, I was ready to make that big jump into doing road trips and uh, all in, all in obsession with the Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia band. About uh, ten years ago, I wrote a book called Positively Garcia: Reflections of the JGB. And in this book, I did a few things, but probably the main part of the book is I took what I thought were the thirteen best shows between 1972 and 1984 and wrote a chapter on each of them. And number 12, the 12th ranked uh, show in that book was this Bethlehem show from Lehigh, um, Stabler Arena, February 5th, 1981. It came in a tie for 12th. And 1981 was an excellent year for the Jerry Garcia band. Three of the shows that um, that made that uh, top 13 uh, were from that year. Uh, let me give you a little rundown of who was in the Jerry Garcia band at that time. It was interesting, in 1980 and 1981, you got a very stripped-down uh, Jerry. For most of, the, for most of the, both of those years, you didn't have background singers, and it was just uh, Jerry, John Kahn, uh, a keyboardist, and drummer. On this occasion, there were five people in the band. They also had Jimmy Warren on electric piano, uh, John Kahn, obviously Jerry the Man, uh, on drums, Daoud Shore. This was his first tour with the Jerry Garcia Band. And they also introduced Melvin Seals. Um, this Lehigh show was uh, Melvin's 10th show with the band. And obviously it was something that worked because he was there for the rest of the ride through 1995. He definitely brought um, a soulful, 
sound, a rich, thick, soulful sound that was kind of missing since the uh, days of Merle Saunders. So Melvin was a, a huge, uh, a huge new introduction member of the Jerry Garcia band. Um, you know, essential. You can't, you can't imagine Jerry Garcia band without without the big guy Melvin. Uh, so getting on with February fifth, nineteen eighty one. Uh, show kicks off with a pretty typical three song uh, open open introduction for Jerry Garcia band back in those days. How sweet it is, Catfish John. That's what love will make you do, and absolutely nothing wrong with that because those are three spectacular tunes. Now, now the cream of the crop, as far as looking at the, those three songs, the best they were ever played in succession was at Music Mountain, June, 8, June 16th, 1982. Uh, the band just rocked completely all three of those songs, top-notch versions. Uh, on this night in Lehigh, it gets off to a little bit of a slow start. How Sweet It Is is kind of a warm-up. Uh, nothing uh, crazy going on inside there, just a nice little warm-up, How Sweet It Is get everybody in the mood, get the band in the mood. And then Jerry makes his move in Catfish. The guitar work in Catfish John is excellent on his version. And you hear uh, Jimmy Warren takes a little bit of a lead on electric piano. And basically Melvin is he's, he's doing some lead stuff, but it's mostly background. He isn't as prominent in the sound yet, but it, his sound definitely makes a difference. Uh, just fill, fills up uh, so much more texture to the music and it sounds great on Catfish John. Um, and then that's a level make you do follows a uh, pretty good version standard. Uh, but then the show will start picking up uh, with the fourth song. They get into a little, uh, the fourth song of the, the first set, they do two sets on this night. Uh, they get a little blood on the tracks uh, sandwich going with um, simple twist of fate, Chuck Berry in the middle, let it rock and then Tangled Up in Blue to close the set out. So the simple twist of fate is simply gorgeous. I mean, Jerry just sings his heart out on it. And it's so interesting how he reinterprets these Dylan songs, or really anybody he's doing. But uh, Dylan, Dylan's version is reflective, but it's also kind of dynamic and right at you, very powerful, where this is extremely laid back, somber, Reflective. It totally captures the mood of what what Dylan was trying to get get at, but uh, just a completely different musical landscape. Very slow. It, I mean, it almost comes to a stop. This is this is one song where it's almost impossible for a Deadhead to dance to, even though uh, I'm sure Deadheads were up and dancing <laughs> during Simple Twist of Fate too. But almost impossible. Just a very dirge-like slow tempo. Tempo. But man, Jerry really sings it amazingly. Beautiful guitar work, uh, a lot of yearning and heartfelt leads in there. John Kahn has his long bass solo in uh, Simple Twist of Fate. Uh, Jerry used to enjoy that. He enjoyed listening to it. He also enjoyed stepping off to the side, having a cigarette. You know, a very relaxed uh, mood. But when uh, Jerry comes back, pours a thousand percent soul into it. And yeah, very, very cool version. It ends up at the end of Simple Twist of Fate where... Uh, there was a pretty good rocking ending, usually. They brought it to an end. And then the rocking continues with Let a, Ro- Let a Rock. Uh, perfect Bethlehem tribute to the working man. Um, yeah, so the second solo, Jerry breaks out the steel drive and hammer. It's just a, an awesome second uh, instrumental in there. 
And, um, you know, just so when Let It Rock, when you hear something like that and the place where it's played, Bethlehem, very interesting city at that time, going through quite a transition. Uh, Bethlehem Steel, one of the biggest manufacturers in United States history, uh, was was on the way down. It was 1981, 1982, they reported a loss of $1.5 billion. So um, they were closing up most of their operations. So around this time, a very uh, conflicted time in history for Bethlehem. It was pretty depressing for the working man because a lot of people were getting uh, laid off. And, uh, you know, Let It Rock definitely hits, hits the note. Uh, Jerry with a rocking tribute uh, to, the, to the working men of Bethlehem. And just the, the Lehigh Valley is such an interesting place because it's so, on one hand, so beautiful place where you have a, an amazing uh, school like Lehigh uh, set in a beautiful, uh, and then right down the road is Bethlehem Steel and those big steel stacks. And th- that place was the backbone of America, you know, even more so than like Allentown, which was pr- pretty close, just that whole area. Um, Bethlehem Steel... Uh, produced uh, most of the, a lot of the ammunitions and warships that helped America win two world wars, and their steel went into things like the George Washington Bridge, uh, the Chrysler Building, uh, the Empire State Building. So it's uh, Bethlehem Steel is an essential part of uh, American history. Getting back to the night of February fifth in the Jerry Garcia Band, after rocking out that that last great uh, solo and let it rock. Tangled Up in Blue uh, ends the set. Uh, one of the most iconic uh, Jerry Garcia band uh, songs on this this version is um, you know good, nothing uh, uh, spectacular, but this show does re- end up I uh, ranking it as one of the best of all time. So the first set uh, above average, great song selection, um, but the second set is wherever everything happens and. Just as, as good a little set as you could have, and that's what propels this to being one of the greatest shows of all time. So in uh, preparation for this podcast, it was a treat to hear the show again. It, was, it, it must have been like six, seven years since I heard this show in its entirety. Um, and I guess that's because with the, with the Grateful Dead, we have access to everything at, at our fingertips. You got the Relisten app, Archive.org. You could pull up any show you want, anytime. Not as easy with the, obviously, with the Jerry Garcia band. Um, if you want to listen to the show, this is where I, I listen to it because I don't listen to my CDs anymore. Um, I went to YouTube, uh, typed in Jerry Garcia band 2581, and uh, there's the whole show is there. Also, I have a Positively Garcia page on YouTube. You could subscribe or just go there and uh, check out tunes. Um, what I, what I basically do, I don't do a whole show. I'll take out the highlights, the noteworthy essential, uh, songs and upload them to my page. Uh, from this show, I, I got the sugary up there and also, um, when, when I pay my masterpiece, which they do in the second set. So, um, set two opens up with sugary, the first Grateful Dead, first and only Grateful Dead song of the night. And wow, this is... <laughs> This is a killer version. Um, so great first solo. Um, it's got the right feel. This second solo, man, Garcia peels away at the sugary onion 
all kinds of, you know, different licks, but kind of like a mathematical quick picking approach to it. Pretty awesome. And uh, also, there's agency works a part of the fretboard that I never heard him work in a sugar read before. It's definitely a standout. That second solo is is awesome. And I, and I, I knew that before I was listening to it. So I'm listening to the sugar read again. Um, and I was kind of surprised at how long that third solo was. It's a really good uh, third instrumental, too. Uh, so this is top-notch, one of the best uh, Garcia band sugarees. But wow, that second solo, man, it will, it will make your head spin. Great stuff. So, um, yeah, you're starting off the second set with a, with a hot sugaree and, and put everybody in uh, Bethlehem, uh, Lehigh University in the mood. And then uh, at that point, everybody turns into a little bit of a dance party. Garcia just rips into the harder they come. And of course, Melvin, once again, uh, Melvin Seals keyboards here are essential. Uh, Bands cooking, nice long version. Uh, Another iconic Jerry Garcia band song through the years, Harder They Come. Uh, And then uh, the next song, they're they're back into Dylan's, uh, another Dylan tune, When I Pay My Masterpiece. And boy, does Jerry, I mean, this is one of the great masterpieces. Love this version. Um, you know, when uh, Dylan did, obviously Dylan wrote a brilliant song here with Masterpiece. And when I listen to the band versions and, and Dylan's version, I, I just think Jerry takes, there's so much to Masterpiece, so much in those great, great lyrics, um, you know, and he just slows it up and digs in and savors everything. And really, that that's the key to his greatness. You know, no rush. This is check out how great this song is. He kind of frames every lyric, and then and in masterpiece, just these ripping guitar solos. So a, to, a masterpiece. It totally does it justice. Jerry does it justice on this evening and every evening he played it, whether it was electric or acoustic. And um, going from the, the a Dylan band kind of number, they go into. Uh, Another band song, nice uh, flow there. The night they drove old Dixie down, and um, man, the way Jerry sings this. If there's, I've mentioned this before. If there's one thing where Garcia did not get enough credit, it's as a singer, a vocalist. He's unbelievable. Uh, one of the greatest singers I've ever heard in my life, and he just that, that people don't put him up on that pedestal for the singing. I mean, I mean, Deadhead Worlds maybe, but. Um, not, sometimes not even there, but, uh, this night they drove with Dixie down just to hear him sing this. It's so heartfelt and, and brilliant. You know, I just, I listened to the band, I, I the band version's good, but I have trouble loving it just because I, I was, I was brought up on this, uh, Jerry Garcia band version. And in, uh, 1981, I think he sings the sweetest, uh, night they drove old Dixie's down as his voice was just on uh, this year, 82 great years for Jerry singing. So Excellent version of Dixie Down, and just the, the the song flow here. I mean, that's the thing with the Jerry Garcia band. Uh, Jerry picked out the right tunes. You know, he, he knew the knew the right tunes to pick out and how to line them up. And you know, and um, I don't think you could say this in '72 or '77. Obviously, Grateful Dead shows were bigger than the the Jerry Garcia band shows of those days. But as the early '80s rolled around, these amazing Jerry Garcia band shows in a lot of ways, were more satisfying than seeing the dead, even though the Grateful Dead could definitely go places that the Garcia band could never dream of going. Uh, Grateful Dead is a different different experience, and the anticipation and the possibility was always greater. 
but for just you know pure pure excellence guaranteed uh jerry garcia band shows in the early 80s were where it's at uh so after oh by the way after a night they drove old dixie down dear prudence now jerry first did i think his first prudence was 1979 maybe with reconstruction i'm pretty sure that's correct uh but um and this is before these uh john lennon was killed in front of the dakota so it's kind of kind of ironic that he came out with this song a year before lennon's death to me nothing captures the essence of john lennon like dear prudence when i hear every time i heard jerry jerry sing dear prudence i would picture that uh the photo of lennon from the white album you know it would just pop up in my mind right away and this was, you know, I mean, especially poignant because you got, um, this is two months, only two months after John Lennon was assassinated. So, I mean, it just a, a tribute, but incredibly sad. And, and then uh, Positively Garcia, I titled this chapter Prudence Tears. I mean, Jerry just digs in and his guitar is just crying, but it's one of the most... Uh, uh, definitely touching Prudence solos. Uh, I'll, I'll put it up there as one of the best versions. But I heard of other ones where they go off, where he goes off more, where it's like more joyous, more of a celebration. But this was, you know, I mean, it hit the spot. It was you, you couldn't be too celebratory because uh, John had just been taken from us two months two months earlier in a senseless uh, shooting, and then um, just so much that these songs lined up in a row. You're going from Hunter to Jimmy Cliff to Dylan, to Robbie Robertson, to John Lennon. Ridiculous. You know, it's an amazing presentation and wrapped up with the one of the happiest songs to leave any show, Midnight Moonlight, Peter Rowan, or bring you back to old in the way days. Um, and another very cool version to wrap up uh, one of the great sets. Uh, when Jerry did uh, did two set, sh- two set shows, it was rarely an encore after it. He would usually do the encore if it was only a one set show. But on this night, they just gave so much, so great, so much, so much jamming going on. And I'm sure everybody in Stabler Arena was more than thrilled with this great performance. Definitely, if you haven't heard it, uh, go to that YouTube page. Uh, either ch- you know, check out the select versions or go for the whole thing. Uh, February 5th, 1981, Jerry Garcia Band kills it. Before I move on to the Grateful Dead show on September 25th, I would just like to touch upon the incredible road adventure of Jerry Garcia in the year 1981, going back and forth between playing with the Jerry Garcia band and the Grateful Dead, all the traveling that he went through that year. And instead of just going off the top of my head with that, I'm going to read from uh, my book Positively Garcia because I got facts and figures in there. And it's just unbelievable, the life of a a rock star, but especially what Garcia did this year. Here we go. Garcia's travels in 1981 were pure madness of an unprecedented nature. It all began in January with a Jerry Garcia Band West Coast tour. In February, JGB barnstormed intimate venues on the East Coast before swinging back to San Francisco for three shows, frequent flyer points were accumulating. The Grateful Dead tour commenced with three nights in Chicago at the end of February, and March began with two dates in Cleveland, followed by a short East Coast tour that ended in Hartford. 
The Dead then flew across the Atlantic for four shows in England and one with The Who in West Germany. These were their first European appearances in seven years. When they returned to the Bay Area, Garcia slacked off a little by only scheduling five Jerry Garcia band gigs for April. Then the Dead headed east for their annual spring tour in May, and JGB closed the month with a West Coast run. Then Garcia slacked off again, only performing three JGB shows in June. In July, by the way, we're still talking about 1981, the Grateful Dead rolled through a Midwest tour, and for good measure, the JGB crew played a few more in California. Between August and the middle of September, Jerry lingered out west for two short runs with the Grateful Dead, and of course, JGB shows were sprinkled in before, after, and in between the Dead shows. As September rolled to its chronological conclusion, the Grateful Dead headed east for gigs in Lehigh, Buffalo, and Landover. Just as they had done in May, the boys followed an East Coast swing with a European tour, Deja Vu, all over again. After playing in Amsterdam and Paris, the Grateful Dead ended their 13-show rendezvous in Barcelona, Spain on October 19th. It was the first and only time Senor Garcia played in the land of his ancestors. Believe it or not, this is where the craziness kicks in. Six days after leaving Barcelona and traveling halfway across the globe, JGB put on a show at Keystone Palo Alto. Four days later, the Jerry Garcia band schlepped their act back to the East Coast to launch a tour at the Tower Theater in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. After several triumphant performances, including the 11481 Albany show, JGB closed the tour out with performances in Chicago and Denver. Ten days later, the Grateful Dead were in Pittsburgh to launch a seven-day tour of the heartland that ended in Des Moines, Iowa, on the 40th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Before the band performed their annual New Year's run at the Oakland Auditorium, JGB would do three more gigs in the Bay Area. As Jerry sang in Roadrunner, Money, who needs it? I live a life free and easy. A toothbrush in my hand. Let me be a traveling man. I'm a Roadrunner baby. And that was definitely Jerry's, Jerry's motto for sure. And uh, maybe that's why the man loved to travel, play music wherever, whenever. And maybe that's why he came back to Lehigh in 1981 with the Grateful Dead. It's definitely a, a great arena, and Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is just such an intriguing town to visit. I mean, I, to this day, I love going there. Uh, they got the steel stacks where Bethlehem Steel used to be. It's it's all abandoned, and but it's the coolest looking thing. They do Oktoberfest in front of it. They have bands there. It's they've incorporated the history of Bethlehem into the town. Uh, amazing thing. Um, there's also yeah, I think I said there's a casino out there. Uh, Wind Creek, uh, has there's a nice uh, arena, I saw a Santana play there. So uh, Bethlehem's a, a great place to visit. Jerry went back there with the Grateful Dead and the whole crew in 1981. That must have been a pretty wild scene. Grateful Dead were getting pretty big. Uh, 1981, a huge year for the Grateful Dead uh, for their little three-show swing before heading out to Europe. And uh, th- th- I'm not going to spend as much time 
on this show. Um, I could wrap it up uh, by grading it. This is a performance, I mean, a song set, song selection of dreams, the, the, way, it, the way it all came together. I'm, if I was at the show, I might have left it thinking it was like the greatest show ever. The song selection is so good. So A-plus song selection for 925, uh, Stabler Arena, Lehigh, Grateful Dead. Performance, probably a B. Uh, there's no goats or no scapegoats. By no goats, no greatest of all time versions. And, and, but nothing, on the other hand, that wasn't an off night at all. Everything was pretty good, but a lot of, you know, middle, medium performances, uh, very few sensational standout performances, but just an incredible, incredible set list here. Uh, they opened up with Minglewood, had a little trouble getting the uh, Bobby's microphone, uh, got that straightened out, Strong Friend of the Devil, El Paso, Sweet Peggio, uh, Nice Rooster Jam, Bird Song was pretty hot. Uh, but as this is materializing, as I'm saying these songs, these are all songs I craved when I, I would see the dead in the 80s. And then we get to the Working Man's Tribute for Bethlehem, Beat It Down the Line in Cumberland Blues. And of course, uh, Cumberland Blues is a song everybody's always uh, super excited to see. And then uh, Passenger, man, I'm, this is this is just like a song that I, for a couple of years they played it so well and I loved it so much. I never got to see it live. But if you want to hear a great passenger, I think the best one they ever did was November 10th, 79, Chrysler Arena. Um, just an insane passenger. But uh, I don't know how they, they lost the love for this song that Phil wrote and Garcia went off, Bobby Tune. But um, yeah, so uh, passenger, but not a great version here. The, the, the guitar jam kind of ended a little shorter than usual. Uh, Good Althea follows. And this is what I'm saying. These are like all such desirable songs. And they did close a set with, uh, you know, a, a showstopper. Music never stopped, and it's actually actually an excellent version. Uh, might be close to a top ten. It's that good. Garcia's just in repetitive lick heaven, uh, shredding and shredding, and they really went went the extra mile with this. Uh, 1981 was a pretty good year for music never stopped. Uh, a couple other versions I could recommend from this particular year: um, Oklahoma, uh, the Zoo, uh, seven five eighty one. And uh, the very first show of the year, Uptown Theater Chicago, just a ridiculous music, never stopped in the uh, first set there. Uh, but this Lehigh one is great, definitely a standout version. So a great way to end the set. You know, a lot of songs and great song selection, great flow. Uh, second set, you know, same exact thing. All songs you, you, you would hear, you look at the set list, you're like, my God, this is a great show. Just missed the mark as far as, you know, the performance-wise. So they open up with Might As Well, a song which had just recently been returned to the lineup over the summer. Uh, they took a break from it after 1977, so I guess it's like a four-year break. Uh, Might As Well is back, cool second set opener, rock into Samson and Delilah. And then you, you thought you might have been missed, missed the, the uh, oper- window of opportunity for Scarlet, Begonia's Fire on the Mountain. But after Might As Well, Samson, Delilah, they give you the Scarlet Fire. And the best part of this is the Scarlet outro, pretty hot. But, uh, you know, for Scarlet Fire, a little tame. Not not long, well played, but not definitely not a... They didn't dig in and do a long version there. Uh, then Brent checks in with a Good Time Blues. A little advice, never trust a woman who wears her pants too tight. And, um, you know, at this point, you got five songs. And then they do a whole Sailor Saint after that. So it's seven songs before drums. Good version of Sailor Saint. 
Uh, but if you want to hear a, a, a sensational version, just two nights later, they played it at the Caps Center. Now, that that was a great Sailor Saint. Saint uh, ended the first set in the Caps Center, 927. So after the seven songs, we get a little drum space. Solid version of the wheel. Very hot sugar mag. Kind of like a surprise uh, spot to catch it. And instead of doing Sunshine Daydream, they broke into Black Peter. And I love that. I think the Grave of the Dead should have done that a little more. I, I really enjoy when they would uh, cut into Sugar Mag and then uh, skip the uh, Sunshine Daydream, put a couple songs in. And then, then when they would come back and hit you with the Sunshine Daydream later, it was like a shock. It was pretty cool. So always uh, interesting when they, when they did it that way. So Wheel, Sugar Mag, Good Black Peter, Around and Round, and then they kick it with the Sunshine Daydream and a U.S. Blues Encore. Um, that that entire second set, nothing really stood out as being great, but they, would, they never lost any momentum. It was it was a good good solid show. Uh, just you know, not nothing. Uh, you're gonna go rewind the jam because it was so hot. So definitely uh, a a, gr- a great show, man. I mean, Lehigh must have uh, been on fire after that, that all that night uh, with all the deadheads up on that beautiful campus. Uh, yeah, definitely. A, I guess the word for that that show uh, on September twenty fifth, the best word, joyous. And basically, that was it for the Grateful Dead and Deadheads in Lehigh University. That's the last time the Dead or Jerry Garcia band played there. I guess the, it's a beautiful campus, and as big as the Grateful Dead were in nineteen eighty one, it just must have been too much, too overwhelming uh, for a place like Stabler Arena and a campus like that to host the, uh, the beautiful, massive carnival that was, that was the Grateful Dead. And that's it for Episode 9 of the Deadology Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Weiner. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, once again, just a couple things here. The, the, I have that Positively Garcia page where a lot of great versions, a lot of very cool Jerry Garcia band stuff up there. You might want to check that out. Also, my podcasts are there as well as on Apple and yeah, anywhere you Spotify, all that stuff. Subscribe if you like. It's free and it's going to be weekly. I'm going to be coming back every week with uh, with these podcasts. My books are available on Amazon. Several books on the Grateful Dead, including well, well, Positively Garcia is a Jerry Garcia band book, but we got the Deadology books and uh, Dylan and the Grateful Dead, a whole bunch. Europe '72 revisited. Um, those are also available on my website, Tangled Up in Tunes. Uh, you got pictures of the books there lined up like pretty maids in a row. Um, but, yep, we'll be back next week. A lot of interesting stuff. October's my favorite month of, uh, I think, The Grateful Dead played more great shows in October. And a lot of interesting stuff to look forward to. Thanks for listening. Uh, keep on keep it on. Peace out. Thank you. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a few minutes so everybody hang loose.